Good morning. It, it's a joy to be here with you. Um, I loved making the trek up to Michigan from Colorado Drove, so it's always good to slow down. You probably fly everywhere if you were going to go somewhere that far, um, but I enjoyed driving because I could reminisce with my wife about it was 10 years ago this year that we drove from Colorado to Michigan uh, to be the youth pastor at, at Berean. So super, super glad uh, to meet a number of you there. Um, Jeff, Courtney, your kiddos, you know, it's been, you're not kiddos anymore though, but when I met you, you know, Gabrielle, you were, you were um, just getting into middle school. So I feel really old also, and uh, I should probably lose the coat. It's making me feel old, but looking at you all also does that to me. Uh, well, so I, I want to share a little bit about our journey, what God's done in our life, and I also want to encourage you. Um, I, I, I've learned a lot about God's church in the last four years as I've seen Him do things beyond what I expected and what I could quite honestly trust Him to do and to be for His church in, in our world. But let me share just a little bit. How many of you heard of church planting? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, church planting. Awesome. Um, how many of you have heard of church replanting? Feel like, hey, if I called on you because you're raising your hand, you could tell everybody a good definition, right? Okay, it, it's not as well known, but essentially what it is is it's church planting with maybe a unique perspective or a unique strategy. So you've got church planting on, on the one side of things, which is you have a church planter. He's like the starting church, founding pastor, whatever you want to call him. And, and he and, and, and his wife and his kids are there. And then he asks and invites other people to join in that team to say, hey, would you be a part of starting a, a brand new church that has never existed? It has no history. Would you be on that team? You know, it might not exist today, but if you join this team, it'll exist tomorrow sort of thing. No history. And, and then you've got on the other side of the spectrum, uh, church revitalization, which is a church that, that has maybe been uh, plateaued or in decline. And a pastor and his wife and, and perhaps his kids drop into that church in order to minister and to serve and to lead good change in the church. That's church revitalization. You, you've got a church of people. You've got a member roster and it's just that family, just the pastor's family that's coming in and helping. That's church revitalization. There's history, and there's already a group of people, which makes it distinctively different than church planting. And church planting is, is kind of a, a blend of, of the two. It's to say that you, you might have some folks that are willing to join your team uh, from a church that's getting ready to close its doors. You might have a building, a location and that church definitely has some history, which is super valuable. And a lot of times we don't think about a church's history in a community. And so what we did was we planted a new church, which meant we had, in our case, we had um, 10 folks that stuck around from the church that closed out of the 12 members. 10 said, yes, I'll be a part of the team. And then I went out and I invited other people before we even launched and said, hey, would you pray about being a part of this new start for our church? And so we called that replanting. So we built on the history of the church before, and we used both the, the people that were at the church and new people to start a new work and with a new name 
um, and, and a new vision for a church. So that, that's that's what it was. Um, I left uh, I left Michigan um, almost five years ago, and I did a one year residency as a replanter at a church in South Denver, and we were praying about where God would have us replant. And it came to the end of that year long residency, and and I, I almost lost hope that this was the way we we're going to plant because. I'd gone and preached at so many churches, but no one was really open to the idea of replanting. No one was saying, we're ready, like, you know, come be our replanter. We'd love that. We're open to that much change in our church to start over. And so um, right at the one-year mark, uh, this church in South Denver um, got connected with our church and said, hey, I mean, we're... We're, we've got a tiny building. We've talked to some larger churches in our area. We've got to close. We've got 12 people left. We just, we just can't function anymore. Um, and, and so they said, these larger churches have told us they're not going to keep a worship service in our building. They're, they're not going to make us a campus. They're not, we're just too small for that. But they would sell our building and, and use it for ministry funds, and maybe that's what we need to do. And, and our church said, no, we would love to plant a church in your building. Your building is not too small. And so Heather and I walked in that building, and, and we walked in the room, and they had 40 chairs in the auditorium. And I said, I take it back. You're too small. No, we, did, we didn't do that. We said, wow, this is amazing. You know, uh, you, know you, you guys have a great building. We squeezed 120 chairs in there. Um, they just made a few updates. They, they've been updating their building, and so there's fresh coat of paint on some things, and he said, wow, you know, this is awesome, but you know, your building isn't the, the best part of it. It's really your history, and that proved true because September 11th, it'll be, um, so three and a half years ago, but September 11th, three, years, three and a half years ago, the very first Sunday that I dropped in for us to just even have a meeting, you know, to talk about replanting. It was official. We were going to talk about replanting. It was Sunday morning. Why not Sunday morning? We're at church. Great time to have this meeting. No real like worship service planned. We sang some songs, but I mean it was it's all real, you know, kind of put together. Um, and that very first Sunday, there's this high schooler, and I thought, like, what's this high schooler doing? Is he like the grandson of, of one of the members here, one of the ten that were left? And uh, and I asked some people, and they said, no, 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 he's not. So I thought, I've got to ask this guy more questions. I got his name. I said hi to him. But I've got to find out his story because I assumed it. And sure enough, this guy said, well, I live in the neighborhood. I just felt like this morning God laid it on my heart to go to church. And this is the church in my neighborhood. I was like, what? He'd never been there before. But because that church had history, there were people, there were families that were far from Jesus. But they still considered this church that we were restarting which I would say was in an in-between time, he considered that his church that he'd never been. And so that's what I mean, that there's value in the history of a church. So the church that we replanted um, had a 50-plus year history on their corner in the neighborhood, uh, somewhat like your church, that people drove by and they might say, that's my church, though they've never walked in here before. So Heather and I landed there, and the first uh, four months were, quite honestly, depressing. Uh, we... <laughs> We were asking, asking everyone that we met, every Christian we met, um, through our, our network of people that we knew and outside of it, would you come and join our team? We landed there September and started meetings on Sunday morning. There were kind of a preview of what a worship service would look like. 
And it came to December. And I think our average attendance in December, including my family of four, was maybe 12 people, right? And, uh, and I was actually being encouraged, hey, you should launch in December. You guys should launch in December. I said, no, we're going we're gonna to launch in February, right? Right after January, we're going to launch. Week after the Super Bowl, we're, we're going to do that. And I was so glad because here we are in December. I'm thinking two months we're going to launch, and there are 12 people here. This is not what I envisioned when I thought of replanting. So we prayed, and we thought, you know, is this what God wants us to do? And sure enough, um, while we were taking a break and visited some family and supporters in Kansas City, um, we started getting phone calls after January 1st, and our core team grew. And, and we matched almost every adult that we had of those 10. We matched someone who came in from the outside and said, yeah, I want to be a part of this team. This is my church. I want to walk forward with you. And so we launched with, with about 30, 35 people on February 12th, three years ago. We just celebrated our three-year anniversary. So exciting. Uh, a lot of things that we changed. Yeah, we pared everything down. We, we took a, a church calendar that had 50-plus events on it. If you... Um, you know, count their admin meeting every other week and a lot of the events. And we cleared the calendar. And starting over allowed us to do that. And what we did was we said we want to pray for and we want, we want to dream about how we're going to reach people outside of our church. And the things that we started to add to the calendar were, were what I would call outward focus. You know, how can we reach people? Um, some of them were just we recognized uh, we had a middle school across the street from us. And so on, on some special occasions, especially the eighth grade um, continuation, right? That continuation is not a graduation because you've got high school ahead of you, right? Call that a continuation. So we set up a, a, a little booth on the corner of our street. They're just across the street. And we passed out snacks and Gatorade and said, hey, congratulations. We're so excited for you. It's things as simple as that. And then we began to dream about what else we might do. I uh, some of you know, uh, and the Jeff does, Christianity Explored. How many of you know Christianity Explored? So, so what, what we did was we took um, all our church through this Bible study uh, through Mark called Christianity Explored. And uh, so we wanted them to know what this was like. And then we empowered people to do that study in groups and even one-on-one. -on -one. And we still to this day have people doing Christianity Explored with people, especially one-on-one, -on -one, it's been a sweet spot. Uh, if someone's willing to sit down and open up the Bible for seven weeks, it's been awesome. So I'm actually going through that with, with the guy right now. I'll share a little bit about his story. But we, we began to grow. One of the cool things, though, as we started was we got to experience some things that I thought a church our size has no business doing. So in our church of maybe 35 people, at that start in that first year, first few months, baked into that team were 11 people that we sent out in the first year to go plant and replant two other churches. And, and to be honest, that's how they came to us. So one of them was the Pachowski family, Nathan and Ruth Pachowski. They said, hey, um, we want to learn about what it looks like to replant plant a church, and that's right where you guys are at. We think that would be super valuable for us to walk through this with you, maybe a year, maybe two, and then we want to go plant our own church. And it was nine months that they were with us from our launch. 
before they went to Monument, Colorado, which is about 45 minutes, almost an hour away from us, south of us. And they began a brand new church. So they, they, they were gone. Them and their three kids, which, which kind of hurt. <laughs> like it, it hurt us. But we loved it. We loved being a part of it. What was unexpected was that um, Anders and Jessica Snyder came to us uh, with their family of six. And they said something very similar. Except he said, I really want to get through seminary. So while I'm in seminary for these three years, you know, I envision I might plan a church afterwards. So, so I, I want to get the experience of those first few years. And so he said, absolutely, our doors are open. You know, come experience what our leadership is like, those meetings. Uh, we want you to experience preaching and grow in that. Like, absolutely. You know, use us as a church. Gain that experience. And so, and so he, he was with us for, no, he was with us for six months before a church in Boise, Idaho said, hey, like, we want to be restarted. Like, we, we need a fresh start. We want to be replanted. And so six months after we launched, he and his family said, we prayed about it, and we think this is the opportunity. Though it was not what we expected, this is the opportunity that God wants us to go be a part of. And so they left. So to see 11 people be sent out in that first year was way bigger than anything that I had envisioned. And so my encouragement to you in this is, is sometimes we, we, we tend to think that way. You know, like my church is not big enough to do this, or, or we don't have enough disciple makers to do this, or we don't have a church planter right now, or whatever it is. No, like that's a church-sized dream. We, we need God-sized dreams of what he's going to do with us and to think and envision how we can make Jesus known in our communities. And it might be way outside of our box. Those things were way outside of my box. But another big thing that we did was we helped people live on mission. In fact, I learned how to live on mission right here in Michigan. My wife and I lived in Farmington. And you know how I learned how to live on mission? It was this, getting to know my neighbors. I remember that first step that we took, Heather and I said, we are going to throw a barbecue for our entire street. We had just over 50 houses on our street and down in, in Farmington. And we said, we, we want to get to know them. We don't know 90% of them. Um, this is just an initial conversation. So we walked around and we passed out invites and we memorized people's names. And, and a few people came the first year, but really it was the second time we did it. The second year that we had a summer barbecue and we got people from our church involved and they brought good barbecue. I think I, I cooked hamburgers the first year and I tried to do that while also saying hi to everybody that was walking into our house. And I, just, I mean, we had these briquettes on the grill afterwards, and no one wanted to eat. It was terrible. But then we brought people in from our church, and we said, you know, we don't have to do this alone. We have a church that we can live on mission with. And, and so uh, we had one guy who was a great, great barbecuer, and I love barbecue. I'm originally from Kansas City. And he brought this great barbecue and homemade barbecue sauce, and, and we had over 50 of our neighbors in our house because it rained. And we had a tiny little house, you know, 1,000-square-foot ranch, Right? And we had 50 people from our neighborhood and some great barbecue, and they loved it. So what we brought to the community was our neighborhood didn't have a sense of community. And what we did was we brought people together to get to know them, to invite them to church. More than a dozen of them ended up visiting the church we were at. We loved that. We learned how to live on mission here. So what we did was we tried to figure out how can we do this as a church. And we've had some great 
great um, strides of uh, people doing block parties, throwing their own grilling party, and using their church as volunteers to help them do that, to get to know them, has been awesome. Absolutely loved that. But getting to know our neighbors, that, it's been super helpful for me. I want to share a story about uh, Lenore, Lenore Greenberg. I showed up at Lenore's house because I was inviting her to something. It was either, I think it was maybe our 4th of July event, or maybe it was the personal um, barbecue that our family was having. Uh, but I, I invited her, and, uh, and she let me know her name, and I wrote that down in Google Maps, which I'd encourage you to do. Get to know your neighbors' names and write them down because you will forget them. It might be a few months before you see them again. But I, I, she didn't tell me anything else besides her name. She looked real skeptical like I was trying to sell her something. I'm just inviting you to a 4th of July party. And um, so anyways, I, I come back three months later and I invite her to something else. And, and she was real quiet. But she, she was surprised. This guy remembered my name. Uh, you know, this is kind of strange. I know we live on the same street, but he's like 12 houses away. Like, this is, this is unusual. None of the neighbors treat me this way. Um, she's kind of looked down on the neighborhood because her, her house is um, um, not necessarily the ugliest, but it's the dozen cars that she had in her front yard that people didn't like, um, which, uh, you know, I didn't like that either <laughs> at first. But, uh, but, but circle back the second time, and she was really quiet, and I didn't know why. She didn't say anything. And she didn't come to the event that I invited her to either. She didn't come. So I didn't, I didn't give another thought about it. But she did show up to church four weeks later. And when she walked in, she immediately unfolded her story. She said, she said Gabe, um, in between the first time that you came to my house and the second time, my husband died. She, and, I mean, she's early 60s, early 60s, and, and she said she felt alone. People in the neighborhood didn't care about her. And a lot of people in her family didn't care about her. And I immediately took that time to pray for her and, and tried to connect her with as many people as we could in our church. She, she ended up going through Bible study, coming to know Jesus. She's coming from a Catholic background, came to know Jesus, His grace. We baptized her. She's been walking in community with us. Her son took his own life this last year. And we were walking with her in her community group as a part of her church. And so getting to know people in your neighborhood, because you have no idea where they are at, but you should walk in with this assumption. Right, that they are far from Jesus, and they desperately need to know him. So I, I want to share a little bit more if we have time, but I want to make sure that we have time. I want my wife to come up and share a little bit about what her experience has been um, being a part of the replant, and then also um, just some things that you've been uniquely a part of that I think are awesome and worth hearing about. You want to you just hear this is not awkward at all. <laughs> it brings us closer. Okay, so first thing that Gabe asked me to share was a little bit of the the one of the great struggles that we went through in our first three years. I feel so tired. She's desperate. Is that a bad thing? Okay, 
Awesome. So one of the struggles that we walked through, Gabe mentioned it, so I'm not going to go in, in large depth, was those first few months of landing at Summit View were no picnic. <laughs> there were definitely no walk in the park. We came from a large church here in Michigan, and our, our training church that we were part of was also over 500 people. So we were used to our son, Titus, who was almost three at the time, having lots of kids his age. And on Sunday morning, it was Titus. <laughs> Literally. In the nursery, the six other adults rotated every Sunday of who was going to watch Titus during the service, which makes you feel a little guilty <laughs> that they're, they're missing out on the sermon to take care of your one child. Um, the Sunday right before Christmas that year, it was Gabe and Titus and I and two adults. And we walked home after church that Sunday, and I looked at Gabe and we said, did we follow God into what we were supposed to do? Did we mishear his call? Because let me tell you, my parents, they thought we had lost our marbles. <laughs> you left a great paying job, security, and youth ministry. You had a great house. And you left for these two people that are left. You know, it, did God really call you to do this? And we left for that those holidays. And as Gabe mentioned, um, by the time we came back a week later, God had called five other families to come join us that had called on the phone and said, we believe God is calling us to join in what he's called you to do, and we want to be part of that. So I just want to encourage you that you may be in a trial right now. You may know, not know what God is doing or why he's calling you to do that, but you also don't know what's going on behind the scenes, and you don't know whose hearts God is already working in to call you to join him and to be part of it, because if God calls you to it, he's going to be faithful to show up and provide for you. Obviously, God did a work in my life, too. <laughs> All right. Second thing that Gabe asked me to share with you was, what is one of the greatest joys that we've gotten to experience also? So as Gabe mentioned, we really have a heart for our community, for our neighborhood. We want people to know that God is not done with some of you, and he's not done with our neighborhood either. And we want to be out in our community. We want people to know that Jesus is alive and working there. So we, we literally were having this conversation. Hey, what can we do to draw people out to the church? Well, Fourth of July sounds like a good holiday. <laughs> we literally just kind of pulled something out of a hat and said, you know, not very many people have plans until the evening. You know, they're watching fireworks and they're barbecuing, but we're not doing anything at 10 a.m., most other people probably aren't doing anything at 10 a.m. Let's see if we can put together a free carnival, and we'll invite all of our neighbors and our friends to come out and have some fun. So we planned this event, and again, with like 30 people, and one of our other sending churches in the area partnered with us, Josh Wolf. I think every, you know, you may have met him. His church partnered with us. And as we planned for it, we thought, well, we're inviting all our neighbors, and we're posting on social media. We'll see if anybody shows up. <laughs> that first year, we had 500 people <laughs> from our neighborhood show up to our church. <laughs> and, you know, we're a tiny group of people, and everybody was just blown away. Where did all these people come from? <laughs> so we said, well, I guess we're committed now to next year, too. <laughs> and so we gathered more volunteers and more people to come be part of it. And the second year, we had 1,000 people show up. <laughs> After that second year, 
I'm at the pool with my kids, and we're just hanging out and talking with some other moms. And one mom says, hey, what did you do for the 4th of July? This was July 5th. And she says to her friend, well, I didn't do this, but my neighbor said there's this church that's hosting a 4th of July carnival, and it's free. And we're going next year because we heard it was amazing. <laughs> and so Gabe goes, well, I guess you're committed again. <laughs> So this last year, we said, you know, we need to think bigger, have even bigger God-sized dreams because we can't handle, our small church can't host a thousand-person event. So um, I connected with 14 local businesses and asked them if they wanted to partner with us and to help sponsor it. And it'd be a great way for them to be in the community and meeting people. And it could also staff and fund a very large event. And last year, um, Nine News featured us on Nine News's Nine Things to Do for the holiday weekend. And we had over 2,000 people come. So God is just doing these amazing things. And it's not about the numbers of people that are coming to this event. Because we have registration tables. And at our registration table, people have the opportunity to, to say how we can pray for them. And you would be shocked in very secular Denver how many people will stop and take the time to ask for prayer for something that's going on in their life. And all of our pastors have followed up with those people. They've stopped by their house. They've prayed for them. Do you want to come be part of our community? And we also invite all the kids that come through to our VBS, which we have the next week. And so we're bringing in all these kids who would never otherwise have just shown up at the door of a church to hear about Jesus. So that has been one of our incredible joys. We're excited to see what God's going to do this year. This will be our fourth year, and who knows? <laughs> Very golden <laughs> when someone's willing to give you their information and give you a window into their life to pray for a family member, um, to pray for their family. Um, I'm afraid that my parents will be deported. When they ask you to pray for that, you get to see into their life and you can step in to minister to them in a huge way is what we found. So We've been growing. It's been phenomenal to be a part of Summit View. We, as, we, as I said, we celebrated three years, and it's huge. Our, our goal was to be a self-supporting church in five years. And as we started, we thought, my Lord, if you would make that happen, that would be so great. But there's really no guarantee. God, you can still be faithful, and some of you might not be there um, at the end of that five years. And we celebrated our third year in January 1st, this year, 2020, we actually became self-supporting entirely. So God sped that forward way faster than I ever would have thought that would happen. I, I want to tell you this. One of the, the greatest joys about being a part of Replant was paring things down to making disciples. We want to make Jesus known, but how do we do that? We make joyful, passionate disciples. And so one of the things that I was challenged by was my own heart. Where's my own heart at? Fourth of July was great. I mean, for our church, you know, we've been able to capitalize on something our culture says. We celebrate. People take the day off. Kids decorate bikes. They do all sorts of crazy things. They blow themselves up in the evening. You know, whatever they like to do on the Fourth of July. And we capitalized on that with this kids parade and with just a, a carnival, like a low-key carnival that people came out 
in droves and gave us their information. But we pared it down to discipleship. I want to share a couple of stories about that. One would be, as I was driving to the 4th of July the second year, when we knew it was growing and all the details and the infrastructure and you know, seminary never taught me about how to order porta potties for an event like a carnival. And I found myself doing that for, for this event in a million other details. And for me, I'm not a detail oriented kind of person. You know, that's work for me to get all the details on a piece of paper and to work through all of them. I like to think about the vision of it, not the details. And so my heart was so unhappy driving the 4th of July. I was thinking about what if these volunteers don't show up or, you know, I tried to confirm with this person this detail, but they never got back to me. And, and I was just so frustrated. I was a volcano on the inside, so upset. And I remember thinking, I don't want to go to my own church's 4th of July carnival and kids parade. Okay, I was in such a bad place. And I thought, how can I make joyful, passionate disciples of Jesus? How can I show people the joy of knowing God if that's not where my heart is? And so we talk about, we talk about pace and a uh, green light. Like we're going, we're living on mission, we're doing ministry. And we talk about a red light. We pause, we rest. And I learned a huge lesson that day. What Galatians 2.20 says, that Jesus is living in us because he died to separate us from our old self. And he gives us this new life, which is himself as we're united to him. But a lot of times we forget that as Christians. And ministry can look a whole lot more like helter-skelter than walking with Jesus. And so in that moment I said, I've got to pause. I've got to slow down. If I'm two minutes late to this event, it's totally fine. But Lord, I need to confess to you, I'm not enjoying walking with you. I know that you're enough, and I want to believe that, and I want to lift that out. I don't care if a lot of these details get left out. You know, if we're missing half of our porta potties or whatever detail, only half, you know, of the 2,000 people register and give us their information. I don't care. I'm, I'm okay with that. But what I want to do is I want to enjoy Jesus while I serve at this event. That's what I need most. If I have the best 4th of July event, I have the best outreach event, and I don't enjoy Jesus, I will have lost it all. I will have wasted it all. And so for me, that was the big part of my heart, that I am living in union with Jesus. You and I get to walk with Jesus through, through you know, the greatest successes and the biggest Sundays and also the lowest. And to say that Jesus is enough period, is the best thing, the greatest testimony. The, the second thing about discipleship is just paring things down. Uh, we, we are beginning to start a ministry, a middle school ministry, kind of built things up from, from nursery to uh, all the way up to fifth grade on Sundays now, and then we've got a middle school program that's running. But, but I remember in the very first year, there was one middle schooler that came to our church, and he was really interested in getting baptized. And I was like, i Need to know more about this kid and where his faith is before we baptize him. And so he was a sixth grader. His name is Dom, Dominic. And so um, I pick him up after school and we go grab a milkshake at Chick-fil-A. And, and I walk him through uh, the gospel. And maybe uh, this three circles resource that we have, and, and maybe you've seen it before. I highly recommend it. 
um, three circles. Maybe I can get that resource or a link to you. I'm just telling you about God's perfect design, how God made things, right relationship, but that sin led to brokenness. And this is, this is really the circle that we live in. And we can see brokenness in a whole lot of direct and indirect ways, in our own hearts and in our world. But that we aren't left in brokenness because God sent his son to die for us, to restore us back to his perfect design. And so it's the three circles. And, and, and so, you know, I said, Dom, which one do you feel like you're living in? He's like, well, I feel like I'm living in brokenness. I said, do you, know, do you know that Jesus is calling you and I to turn and follow him, to believe that he lived and he died and he rose for us to be connected to God? And I mean, Dom was so excited. He, he pretty much already there. But I just want to clarify, this is what he's believing. I said, Dom, I, I really want to learn about following Jesus with you. And I'd love to be one person that can help you follow Jesus. But then I follow that up with, who else in your life do you think is living in brokenness? Who else needs to hear this message? And so it's just Dom and I meeting, and he threw out two people. And, and so and so he said, well, well, hey, I'm free. So if you want to get together with them, like I'm available. If you need my help to you know, go over this conversation. And, and so sure enough, you know, he, he reaches out to two of his buddies at school, and uh, one of them says, yes, yeah, I'm free even tomorrow. So I'm there I am, again, you know, second day, Newton Middle School, right across the street from our church. And I'm picking up two guys now, and we're, we're going to get Chick-fil-A. Um, we even picked someone else up on the way. Chris is one of our local homeless guys. So we said, hey, Chris, you stand on the corner. Meet us at Chick-fil-A. We'll buy you dinner. And so he met us too. And, and it was so cool because, because we bought Chris dinner, this homeless guy in our community. Everybody knows him, super friendly guy. And, uh, and I went over the, the three circles with him in front of these two guys. And then Chris left, and it was awesome. Because Dom immediately turned to his buddy Aiden. And he began to walk through the three circles. This is how God made us. This is the way things should be in his perfect design. But because of sin, this is what brokenness looks like. I mean, he walked through it as he understood it. And he called his buddy, Aiden, do you want to follow Jesus with me? And Aiden says, yeah, <laughs> like I want to, I'm interested. And so, and so what started out of that was we called it Calvary Club. And, and three years later, you know, it's, we've got maybe like 30 guys on a roster and maybe 12 that meet every week. And what do we talk? We talk about what does it look like to follow Jesus out of brokenness? What does it look like to believe and to trust him? It's been awesome and phenomenal. We didn't build the program first. We called people to follow Jesus, and we programmed after that, whatever works. And we're willing to say no and shut anything down that doesn't help us make disciples. And we're willing to be open and say yes to whether it's from me or from Heather or from any one person in our church that says, I think God's calling me to make disciples this way or that way. That's what we want to be. That's what God's done in us. It's been our sweet spot as a church. It's just, God, how do you want to make disciples through us.